welcome everybody uh, to our uh, second coffee hour and um, greetings from South Carolina's second congressional district. Yeah. Um, uh, and happy election day eve. Um, if you haven't voted already, uh, just a reminder to please vote. Um, if you're at home, like me, that's your plan tomorrow. Um, and if you've already submitted your absentee ballot, good job. High five. Um, so I would like to welcome Dean Auer and Dr. Carlos as our guest speakers today. Um, so does anybody have any questions they have for either the Dean or the professor uh, to get started? And if not, we could maybe do it toward a tabla and see who's with us in the meeting. Yes. You can kick people out if, if some, somehow someone got in who wasn't invited. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, okay, password. Uh, what does FIA stand for? That's my new question I'm gonna, for oh, <laughs> the hackers out there. I thought of that one in the car today. That's, um, that's fine. <laughs> Um, but I think everybody, I remember, I recognize most of everybody's names from some shape or form or another. So I think we're safe right now. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, I think introductions, if y'all are all comfortable introducing yourselves yeah, to, love, uh, that would, to be, hear, would hear be that. great. Um, so I have Alex first on my screen. Hi. My name is Alex Faber de Lagrange. Um, I'm a second year international affairs major with a minor in French and Arabic. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Great. Trinity? Yeah, um, hi, I'm Trinity Gates. I'm also a second year international affairs major um, with a minor in criminal, criminal justice studies. And I'm also excited to be here. It's good to see everyone. Good, welcome. Uh, Dorley. Hi, uh, my name is Dorley Glanton. I am a fourth year with the graduate in December. Nice. Um, super excited. And I am an international affairs major with a minor in Russian and certificate of sustainability. Wow. Rishi. Hi, I'm Rishi. Uh, this is my second year. I'm technically SPS Student Union's outreach director. So if anyone who's not on the committee or in the executive board showed up, thank you. Um, <laughs> my major is international affairs and my minors in mathematics. Okay, Olivia. Hi, uh, my name is Olivia. I am a first year political science and international affairs major. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, Caroline. Hi, um, I'm a second year history and international affairs major with a German minor. And this is actually my first year at UGA. Oh. Welcome. Uh, okay, and then Giselle. Hi, I'm also a first year and I'm studying international affairs as a major. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Welcome to you also. Great. Okay, uh, well then I will have the Dean and Dr. Carlos go ahead and introduce themselves. Uh, yeah, whoever wants to go first. Take Professor Carlos, please. Uh, thank you. Uh, so uh, my name is, uh, I guess, Dr. Carlos Roberto Carlos, uh, and I am a second year 
in the uh, Department of Political Science here at the University of Georgia. Uh, and my work largely focuses on uh, the children of immigrants and how they incorporate into uh, American society and sort of a little bit of the ripple effects of how they impact their own parents. Um, and I'm also uh, hardened, but also a little sad that there is, so excited that there's a lot of international affairs majors, but some of y'all should think about political science. Um, just a little plug for my, <laughs> my department. Well, hi everybody. I'm Matthew Auer. I'm the Dean of the school. I'm a senior. I'm, I'm halfway into my senior year. So this is my fourth year at SPIA and it's been four great years, although COVID has thrown us a bit of a curveball. Um, my own interests are like super wide ranging. Um, I guess where I sort of put down my rucksack is in the area of international environmental policy things like global climate change. But it also kind of dovetails with work that we do in some of the other departments. Uh, I'm interested in political communication and how people's perceptions are formed about issues like global warming or um, international development and foreign aid. And so um, I, I'm in the perfect place because as you may know, SPIA has got three departments political science, international affairs, and public administration policy. And I'm interested in all of those areas. Um, so I'm like probably the happiest person in the school um, intellectually. And I'm surrounded by very smart people. Um, and it's really striking that all of you are interested in international affairs. I have to admit the past, I, I'm definitely um, keeping my eye on what's happening in the world, but it's interesting to like, and turn on the BBC and their first story is about what's going on in Georgia, you know? So, uh, and I'm not talking about the Republic of Georgia, not Tbilisi, but, you know, Atlanta. Um, and it, you know, it just occurs to me that tomorrow, if you're watching the returns, and that could take a while, it could be 48, 72 hours before we really kind of have any clarity. And of course, you should be watching what's happening in the presidential election, but keep your eye on that Senate race, the Asaf. Purdue race. And here's why. Uh, here's my gratuitous advice for our coffee hour. There's a real good chance that neither of those candidates is going to cross the 50% mark. As you probably know, you need to reach 50% as a threshold uh, in order to move forward, in which case you have two special elections, runoff elections taking place in January. And if the control of the Senate hangs in the balance, you guys are going to be the center of the world for the next roughly nine weeks. Uh, everybody will be paying attention to what's going on in Georgia and all of the leftover money that these candidates have and all the parties and PACs is going to be dumped into our little state. So <laughs> keep your eye on, I, I know that the other Senate race is gonna go into a runoff unless there's some remarkable uh, strange thing that happens tomorrow, but you should watch that Purdue Ossoff race. That's quite interesting. So many interesting things underway. And um, were folks who attempted to vote or who are registered to vote able to vote? I'm sort of curious about that. Folks who are don't have their video on, you can just give me a thumbs up or is there even a thumbs down reaction? Let's check here on your reactions. There is no thumbs down. 
So you're only you're positive things. Yes. What's that? I said only positive things in Zoom. Yeah, only positive things. Okay, lots of lots of folks voting. Good, good, good. All right, Giselle's got the thumbs up. So I think that this election will be interesting uh, as well. Speaking from like personal. Um, like personal experience um, for South Carolina. Um, our senatorial race with Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison will be very interesting as well um, to see what the turnout is there because that would be a vast change in our, um, our senatorial makeup, but um, not as different or I have asked arguably so as that of Georgia, uh, given the amount of candidates on the ticket this year. Um, but I think that I agree with the sentiment that we won't find out the results for another 48 to 72 hours after the election, just because of the different measures that have COVID has presented um, and some certain attitudes towards the election this year and how it's operated. Um, but I do have a question and I guess this applies more so to Dorley and I, <laughs> because we are the seniors um, this, and we are both graduating in December, but do you have any insight on how graduation will or what will happen with um, our college graduation oh, this year? Yeah. Because I know that UGA's is I had the exact same question. I was gonna ask, mm -hmm. <laughs> actually, that's gonna be my yeah. first question, like kind of selfish question, but like, what's going on? You, know? <laughs> you were chatting about that today. You know, historically, since certainly since I've been here, but I think even before, SPIA has never had a school or college level ceremony. So it's always been the university's um, event the main commencement ceremony that takes place over in Stegman. That said, um, I think we'll probably do something. I'm just not entirely sure what, but if we if we do something, it might take the form of a webinar, you know, something short or um, conceivably a thank you or a video montage, something like that. But there, there I don't think we were gonna have a ceremony um, so there isn't really, you know, something for families to attend, but there might be something for families to see. So that's kind of where we are in the thought process at this point. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was just, I was thinking about it today because I had to inform my family that there was yeah. no uh, in-person graduation, so that got my, my wheels turning, but um, yeah. Yeah, uh, so Doc disappointing. Um, now, not to be a Debbie Downer, but the December graduation is always stunning to me because of the sheer number of doctoral students that are being hooded. And so it doesn't really feel like an, um, well, actually I take it back. There's separate ceremonies, right? So um, my bad, I was thinking that it was a combined ceremony. So in fact, the undergraduates would have had their own. Well, and, and so there, there'll be a, you know, the virtual. Uh, right. but, but the, yeah, the master's level and the doctoral level um, graduations are combined, are they not? Yes, they, they will be and they always have been. And that's basically the master's students, <laughs> they're sort of the, la the low people on the totem pole. So the doctoral students all get hooded and that takes a long time. And then the master's students come across. So I've always wondered, gee, I'm not sure. If I were a master's student, I don't know, I'd have to be very patient playing solitaire or something. 
you know, not to be disrespectful, it's sort of fun to read what, you know, people's dissertation titles are and stuff. But, so. Yeah, shows a little bit of insight on, or gives a little bit of insight on who they are as a person. It does. So. Also, it's, yeah. it always rains or it sleets on uh, for winter commencement. So it's another thing you're, you don't have to put up with. That's fair. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Safety exactly. all the way around. Um, so uh, Dr. Carlos, could you uh, give us some more insight of like your research and uh, sort of your motivations behind wanting to study um, representation of um, like- Yeah, so I appreciate the question. Uh, so first of all, I wanna call my shot and tell you that uh, I think election night was gonna be over tomorrow night. Um, so, um, and uh, it could be because of Georgia, right? Because if Georgia goes, this thing's baked, right? Like if Georgia goes blue, it's over. Uh, and we can maybe say the same thing about North Carolina. Uh, so uh, Florida, not calling Florida, but it doesn't matter what happens in Florida. If Georgia goes, it's over uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so uh, the other thing is we've had a record early turnout. And uh, to me, that suggests that there's something in the air uh, so we'll see what happens. So uh, clearly we're gonna be waiting around on Pennsylvania uh, and we're gonna be waiting around on Michigan and some of these other places that are not even gonna start counting absentee ballots till the day after the election. Uh, but again, I think if Georgia goes, uh, this map is really different. Uh, I'm, I don't think Texas is gonna go. Um, a, I have, that's my home state. And B, uh, this ties in a little bit to my own research agenda. I just don't think uh, Latinos are gonna show up in the numbers uh, that some people are suggesting. Um, and I think that's partly due to sort of a generational lag in, um, in sort of finding a party identity, which is sort of uh, what some of my research is based on. Um, and so, um, so that's just sort of my small expertise. I'm definitely not an elections person uh, but just sort of the things that I know make me sort of think that this is what's going on. Um, but in terms of uh, how I got in, in, in interested, um, uh, it's one of these things where uh, I didn't know I was interested until uh, somebody sort of told me I was, which is uh, to say that when I went to graduate school, um, I thought I was going to study Congress and congressional representation. And, uh, and you know that's a great thing. And I actually, we're really good at that here in the Department of Political Science. We have uh, some of the top scholars on congressional politics here at the University of Georgia. Um, but um, it's kind of been there, done that, uh, and there's nothing really new to add. And I just by chance took a political behavior class. Um, and one of the things that you learn about uh, academia in general, but particularly political science, that um, up until maybe the last, I think, 10 years in a real way, uh, political science has been basically uh, been focused through a lens of whiteness, right? And so, and so what do I mean by that, which is to say that uh, everything we know about the canonical literature that tells us why people vote the way they do, why they react to things the way they do, is largely done uh, based off a study of, of white individuals. And so when I was in these classes, taking these courses and reading some of the canonical literature, I would sort of say to myself, I'm not sure that's the way it works in this community. I'm not sure it works this way in this community. Uh, and um, African-American studies that really sort of already started pushing that ball up that hill 
Uh, and so I sort of found a space where I thought, okay, maybe this is interesting. Um, and use some of my background as a school teacher, which is what I used to do before uh, I became an academic, um, is sort of like, oh, I don't remember the community that I taught in behaving this way, whether it was their parents or their children. Uh, and that's sort of how I got started. And, and now I just sort of take uh, anything related to immigration, I've sort of started collecting, if that makes any sense. And so what I mean by that is, although I, large, I largely focus on children uh, and their politics, I started looking at issues like child separation policies and people's support for them. Um, I've managed to rope in my colleague uh, next door to looking at immigration judges and quotas that are uh, instituted in 2018 under President Trump uh, and just things like that. So kind of anything that piques my interest around immigration, I'm, I'm likely to try to collect while still keeping my main focus. The wordy answer. But it's a very relevant answer. So I appreciate that. Um, I have two follow-up questions. One, um, where did you go for like school? And two, um, what grade levels did you teach? Uh, so, uh, so where did I, so where I went to school uh, for undergrad is a very like mid-tier uh, college called Texas State University. I'm looking at my diploma. Uh, so I was not smart enough to get into a place like UGA. I definitely didn't have the grades for it. Uh, and so uh, that says a lot about the population, which I absolutely love. Uh, but one thing I did was I worked really hard and then I decided, okay, uh, I'm gonna, I wanna be a school teacher. That's what my, my goal sort of was. And um, I started teaching high school juniors and seniors. And my second year into being a high school teacher, I was asked to take over the uh, AP government courses. So I was like, sure, sounds good. Uh, and I started taking over those courses and I felt like I was lacking a lot of uh, sort of substance to the class. So I decided to take um, um, part-time classes for my master's program in my home state of uh, San, or my home city of San Antonio, Texas. Uh, and I would take two classes uh, a semester just while I was working full-time as a teacher. Absolutely loved being a high school teacher, uh, but I got bit by the academic bug because you get paid to sort of think about things and you get to present it uh, and you get to travel to do these things and you get to be in front of all these really intelligent individuals and it was just super fun and I was like, I wanna do this. Uh, and so after sort of some discussion with my mentor for my master's program and my wife who uh, you know was used to having her husband provide some income she's always been the breadwinner but I provided some as a high school teacher uh, to say like oh I just want to completely go uh, back to school and make no money uh, she was very supportive and that's eventually how uh, I got to uh, graduate school where I went which was the University of Chicago and had an amazing experience and lucky enough to be here now and we're very lucky to have you. Oh, that's um, very nice of you to say. I like it. You're right. <laughs> um, I think that like the fact that you have that diverse background uh, adds a different perspective that isn't uh, talked about enough in SVIA. Um, and I'm sure that students um, in political science and international affairs and the public administration very much appreciate, um, especially given today's like climate or political climate, there's a lot of discussion about representation and diversity within our own school. Um, and you're a very integral part of that. And again, like I said, everyone really appreciates that. Um, and as I said before, very lucky to have you. And I don't mean I that as like that. A, a kissing up to the teacher kind of way. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. 
<laughs> um, I could be bought. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Does anybody have any questions? Um, I do have a question actually um, for Dr. Carlos um, about the, I saw this news headline today and I didn't know if it was true or not. And so I didn't know if you had heard about it. Um, as far as like immigrants and things like that with the election, I heard that um, President Trump passed something today uh, dedicating Dia de los Muertos as like uh, the day to remember uh, Americans who have been killed by illegal aliens. Oh is that, is that, did that, did that actually happen? Uh, so I have not read this. Uh, to be honest, I am in the middle of uh, what we call an R&R, which is a revise and resubmit uh, for this article that I've been working on. And so I've been kind of locked in. Uh, but uh, I, so I can't uh, speak to the truth of it, but it also wouldn't be surprising. Uh, so President Trump has a sort of a a unique relationship to say the least with uh, immigrant communities. Uh, and it's not um, sort of uh, part in the, 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 the play on, on words here, but it's not black and white, right? So while uh, President Trump has, uh, I don't think it'd be uncontroversial to say uh, pretty strong anti-immigrant rhetoric uh, and using things like uh, Dia de los Muertos, which, uh, uh, which occurred yesterday to sort of shine a light on um, undocumented individuals who committed crimes in the United States, uh, he's, he still roughly has a good 30-ish percent support system in the Latino community. And that partly speaks to the diversity of the Latino community. Uh, but I think there's also, and that's actually what we're trying to understand. So I actually have a survey in the field that just wrapped up yesterday. So I won't get that data back for a, probably a few weeks. Uh, but me and uh, this professor named Michael Jones Correa from the University of Pennsylvania uh, have been sort of trying to get at this question of like, what is driving uh, Latino support for Trump? Uh, and so we have a couple of hypotheses sort of out there, but until we get the data back, we really won't have a strong sense. But part of it is um, we think that uh, there's, there's definitely some truth to this idea of uh, socialism and how the Trump administration has done a really good job of, at least among uh, immigrants, painting Democrats as sort of a gateway drug to socialism, right? And so places, uh, Cubans in particular, which have sort of historic uh, connection uh, with that. And more recently, a place like Venezuela, uh, who's having uh, its own issues is, is part of the issue. But it's also probably a little bit more complicated. There's issues of, of religion um, and abortion that are at play. There may be some element to uh, this idea of like machismo and sort of strong attitudes among certain, particularly males uh, in immigrant communities that sort of relates to this. And so we're trying to sort of understand uh, kind of what's going on there. But we don't know uh, a lot yet because, uh, you know, I, although it's been four years, it's not really a very long time to sort of evaluate something because there's a very unique relationship he has with this community where it's literally. Uh, there's sort of very few people um, who have sort of just neutral feelings about President Trump. You either you love him or you hate him, but you, you're never really like, oh, he's okay. Uh, and that's the truth as well in the immigrant community. But I'll have to look up this Dia de los Muertos things, which makes me a little sad, but I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I just saw that and I was like, I didn't want it to be true, but again, yeah. it's, you know, it's like, you're not surprised kind yeah. of thing. So, 
Um, I I had l- tried to look it up. I didn't see a lot about it, and so I just wanted to see if somebody else. Had yeah, heard. I had not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's really interesting. You know, I could imagine the whole. You know, the, if you're sort of imagining the regression, socialism, and mm-hmm. that part of your, you know, uh, population of respondents who are Cuban. That issue also with uh, Chavez at all in Venezuela makes total sense. But the issue of abortion, if that, you know, is somehow making a difference now in terms of supporting Trump, raises interesting questions about why, or, or maybe it was the case, I just wasn't conscious of it. Where was that support for the Bushes, you know, in, in years past? And, and maybe it also depends upon age etc and intergenerational things that you're looking at but that's that's intriguing uh so george w did really well with latinos uh he was roughly hovering around that mark where uh trump in fact he's probably been the best performing uh republican uh in recent memory with latinos which is george uh w bush but he also had the texas connection he was the governor of the state he didn't have the same rhetoric as 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 trump does uh regarding immigration You'd argue that he was a pro-immigration guy, uh, so yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a it's a fluid community and it's changing. Uh, it's still predominantly of Mexican ancestry, but that is diminishing. Um, and then on the other end, if we want to just talk about immigrants, uh, I would be remiss to neglect Asians, which are the fastest-growing immigrant community um, in the country. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of questions about them because they're even more diverse than than sort of the uh, the Latino community. The diaspora will probably be a better word. Yeah, it's really timely research that you're doing. Yeah, I remember Debbie Bush being out of sync with his own party on compassionate conservatism and, hey, you know, we need to rethink the future of the party uh, in terms of constituency and not, I remember even back to like his 2004 State of the Union. He spent a considerable amount of time on that. But this issue of abortion is, is interesting. I'll be intrigued to see what you come up with there. So can I ask a question? Uh, and yeah, this is not so much for Dean Hour, but this is for everybody else, which is how are y'all holding up? <laughs> it's We've been through some things and now, uh, you know, I sort of find myself like I was a little down and then I got back up. But now that we're back into the sort of like the tail end of the semester, I'm sort of finding myself coming back down, having to push up. And I don't know if it's because we're hearing about COVID becoming not really going away, second wave, whatever. Uh, but how are y'all holding up? And, and, and uh, what are some things that you're seeing in class that you appreciate and maybe some without naming names? that you don't appreciate. Uh, so maybe I could try to take some of this back with me and incorporate into my own uh, class, which I meet in person, by the way. So it's a little different. Maybe some of you don't. So I have, I have very small classes this semester. So uh, there's uh, less than 20 of us or maybe 20 of us. And we meet at Tate, uh, the Tate Theater. So we have plenty of room to spread out. But it's a little awkward sometimes. I could speak, I could say something. Please. Um, I think the beginning of the year was, or the semester was horrible for me because I think oh. coming back was a lot of 
think I had a lot of expectations for what this year was going to be. And I was like, we're going back, like everything's going to be normal. And then within the first few weeks, a lot of my classes went from in-person to online and there was a lot of changes and it was kind of, it was a bit of a brutal shift. Um, and I think I also came in a bit naive thinking like, we're back, like everything's going to yeah. be the same. And then the reality kind of hit me. Um, as to classes, I, um, I really enjoy when my professors try to have like open Zoom conversations at the beginning. I've had one that kind of has just like 10 minutes at the beginning of the class to be like, how are y'all doing? Um, and it is a smaller class, so it is easier to do than a giant lecture hall, but it gives us a chance kind of as impossible as it is to create relationships with professors right now. It gives us like a little bit easier of a way to do that and also to like speak with fellow classmates and get to know one another, um, which I really do like. Uh, but I will say it's been a bit of a struggle in classes that um, do not do Zoom. I have a few classes that just post lecture notes every day and mm. That's, I think I've had a lot of trouble with motivating myself to do it and not pushing it to the last minute um, and just making sure I'm keeping up to date with everything that needs to be done. Thank you. Speaking on behalf of my mentee, not myself, because uh, I'm kind of just used to doing my, what I have to do to get it done. Um, she's more worried about, um, the transition into what school will be like not in Zoom. Um, so she's a freshman and she, uh, like everyone has is having their own personal issues like transitioning into Zoom classes, but coming strictly from high school to uh, college and just Zoom land, uh, that's completely different than how me or anyone else uh, has really done it. Um, so she's concerned about the transition from out of Zoom back into the classroom full time and like how professors will acclimate and help their students get to understand how like the classroom will work or how what their expectations are because she thinks that it's going to get just harder and, and mm -hmm. just no other way to put it. She thinks it's going to become more difficult because the expectations will be higher and um, that like zoom is sort of like is made easy or made classes easier but then again the transition and there are freshmen present so they can speak better to this than i can but from my understanding or from my experience the transition from high school to college was in the first semester at least was very difficult and um and like i think that doing it from in-person classes um to zoom classes has been an interesting transition. Um, well, I guess technically, if you graduated uh, this past year from high school, you ended your year, your your high school experience on Zoom as well. Yeah. Um, but there's still that like, sort of feeling of lost in translation about how college works and then like, the, what the expectations are of like work ethic and um, motivation and like, attentiveness are. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know how um, oh, that translates, but I think that that's important to bring up because that's a fear that other people have that even if they aren't present here. Right. Uh, could any of the freshmen present attest to what I said? Did you feel similarly or did you feel differently? Could you explain why? I can join in. Um, 
I definitely see what your uh, your mentee meant because I feel like we don't we don't have the experience of what actually being in college and college classes mean because we all started basically most of us are in Zoom now. And even if we do have in-person classes, it's still not the same as it was before. So if we switch completely in person, like by the next few years, it's it's just a different tactic, even like taking notes online or going at your own pace at Zoom, it's gonna be completely different once you go in person. Yeah. So I feel like I would appreciate it. I would have, it would have been better at least if it was, if it happened on my sophomore year, because if I would have freshman, I would have had that experience of what college is, what's the tempo, what's the workload. And then like my sophomore year would be, okay, I, at least I know what I'm, what I'm getting myself into. But because I'm, like I'm a freshman, I don't feel like I, I don't have that knowledge. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm actually worried for the same things too. I will pose this question to you because I also asked my mentee this question. Do you think that professors will understand the difference between uh, in-person instruction and online instruction and like help you ease that transition a little bit? Or do you think that no matter how much you talk or try to uh, express your grievances that uh, it will still be more difficult than you expected it to be? Well, again, it depends. Yeah, it makes sense. I really think it depends with every professor, but I I think they'll be understanding because they're also going through the same things as we are. So maybe they're also going to be, um, they're going to ease up into it. But I think by, by the end, they're going to have to like go back to the old tempo. Yeah, I agree. And I think- So this is actually very constructive. Um, and guess what? I'm dean of the school, so I can relay some of this back without attribution. But the other thing is, um, in the not too distant future, I think we're going to send out a survey. And I hope you guys will complete it at Qualtrics just to get your impressions on how the semester has gone, um, what things are working. I think the entire experience, probably compared to the normal experience, has got a lot of challenges and is suboptimal. But understanding, um, you know, some of these nuances will be really helpful, and we still have time, I think, to incorporate some of those lessons learned that you have into our planning for the spring. So please expect to see a prompt at some point asking you to complete. I'll try to make it as short a survey as possible, but just to get just to see at the, on one level, at the broadest level, how are you guys doing. But then in addition to see, okay, what's worked and what are things that just definitely have not worked? Um, my sense at this point, here we are, you know, at the beginning of November, is that the spring courses really are trying to increase the frequency of face-to-face -face opportunities. But it's not like every course we have is going to be face-to-face. -face. In fact, the plurality or majority of the courses are not. Um, the idea would be rather, whereas you might have had a hybrid synchronous course where you were able to be face-to-face -face one of every four or five sessions because of constraints with classrooms. In the next semester, we've been working really hard with the registrar to get bigger classrooms for our, our classes so that the frequency, the, the, for the student who wants to be in class more often, face-to-face, -face, they can do it. That doesn't mean you have to do it, but the opportunity will be there. Now, personally, 
I think that many, we have so many talented instructors. I think to the extent that you feel comfortable coming into the classroom, it's probably the, the right thing to do. The face-to-face -face experience is gonna be more satisfying and a better learning experience. And we know that our classrooms are, you know, among the safest places to be on campus. It's the other moments in campus life or off campus that are kind of the bigger risk concern. So anyway, those are some provisional thoughts about what the spring might look like. Um, I have one thing to say about just like with the classes and being um, online. And I don't know if my experience has been skewed slightly just being, you know, this is my last semester and, you know, senioritis. <laughs> so combined with the Zoom, um, I'm, I'm the student who says like, I am the most productive on campus and I want to be on campus all the time. Like, as far as my work and my classes, like I, like I would be one to say that I learn the best on campus and I online classes aren't my thing. Um, but just with the semester and how everything turned out, like as a student, I talked to so many other of my peers and they just said, you know, we had the intention of going on campus and with the attendance being optional, you know, as the semester went on, it just got harder and harder to make it on campus because there were also less buses running, the times were different. Um, and things like that. And so it just got, the motivation just got harder and harder. Um, but one thing that's really helped me this semester is I have this one professor, Professor Zimmerman. Um, I'm just gonna like shout her out because she has been one of my like best and most attentive professors. Like I have never seen a professor work so hard to make sure her students are prepared for the class. And the thing that helped me the most is having like class time and then having class at that time because my attention span, when it was a recorded lecture, I, I could notice was a lot lower than if, my, if I had to be attentive in that class period. So recording a lecture and then having students watch it, for me, was less effective just for like me retaining the information. And one thing that Professor Zimmerman did that it may be like more assignments, but one thing that she did is that she would have like quizzes like every week that were very low, like low weight, but they kept you engaged that's the hard thing with recorded lectures is that I like will put them off and I'll like do them all in one week but I'm not really learning anything but by staying making sure like students if you can't be in the classroom make sure that they have ways to check in regularly so that they're actually retaining the information was helpful for me um just like as you know like as a last semester senior like that's that's one of one of the classes where I've been the most engaged and I actually am retaining and learning information instead of just turning in assignments and you know, putting on the the lecture in the background, so that's just my perspective. It's really helpful. Okay. I do have a question, kind of going off what Doralee said for um, your dean hour. Is there going to be any priority regarding in-person language classes? Because I do know for me in my language classes that are online, it is really challenging to keep mm -hmm. up with the language and keep the skills and just stay a and like stay attentive to what's happening when they're online. Yeah, um, we are not the only unit on campus the School of Public International Affairs in, in working with the registrar to try to get uh, our, our classes breakout sessions in large classes or just standalone lecture classes into bigger classrooms. So I expect that Franklin College is, is trying to do some of the same thing. Um, it's going to be that much easier for a class that is comparatively small to begin with. So just out of curiosity, you know, as I 
just sort of imagining this, if you're taking, you know, like a 3,000 or 4,000 level language course, the probability that it's a smaller class to begin with is higher. And so the probability that it's going to be fully accommodated in a bigger classroom is higher. Is that potentially your context in the spring? Um, yes, I'm currently in Arabic 2003, and it's already a really small class. Uh -huh. But currently it's, it's um, not... Uh, it's not face-to-face. -face. It was at the beginning, but it switched to all online. I see. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think that that, you know, knowing that there's a real push to try to get either higher frequency opportunities for face-to-face -face or, you know, this class, which would have been synchronous or asynchronous hybrid is now going to be fully face-to-face because -face we can socially accommodate every student in the class all at once, we have a bunch of more, we have several more classes at SPIA that fit that latter category. And quite a few now that where the, the breakout session um, is going to be in a bigger classroom. So there's, there's just higher frequency opportunities for face-to-face. But I totally understand with language. I mean, you just really want, I mean, among other things you really want to be able to see the professor speaking and um, you know, the, the language that the conversational dimension of it is pretty, hard. So I would say, I, I admit that part of this is me, here's my only Arabic word is inshallah, right? I've been saying with God willing, um, more of your sessions will be uh, fully accommodated or uh, at least higher frequency face-to-face. -face. And I'll just speak on behalf, I think of, I think a large majority of the faculty, I clearly haven't pulled them, but I think most of us prefer to be in person, right? And have an engagement with you, uh, whether it's a large 300 person lecture hall or a 20 person class. I mean, it's it's not very fun to sort of, that's why I actually haven't done it. Um, I pushed really hard to get my small classes all in person. So, uh, you know, I zoom in for those people who can't be there for X, Y, or Z reason, uh, but, it's just more fun and I think it's just more engaging. But I also say, I think the students, now you do have to sort of take some ownership, right? You have to actually come, but I do feel like it gives uh, the students sort of an anchor uh, to build around because most, maybe their other three classes or whatever they're taking are on Zoom. And so, um, you know, I'm definitely pushing for, in fact, I've already, I've gotten a larger room for my special topics class. Um, I'm still struggling what I'm going to do with my giant 300 person class. I clearly can't have it uh, all in person, but I, I, I'm sort of taking note of this idea of just recording these lectures and posting them doesn't seem to be a very effective and B, I don't think I want to do that anyway. Uh, so maybe me sort of speaking into a void of black boxes and trying to find ways uh, to do, I mean, I don't know yet. I think there's still a little bit of time, although I'm running out of time, but this is helpful to pick up, so I appreciate it. You're good on time, but <laughs> um, I think that this is what these are for, they, these coffee, hour, coffee hours are for, is sort of like a town hall feel, but also like a check-in um, to see how professors are handling things and how students are handling things um, just because professors can ask questions in class. And I like, honestly, I really like the idea of taking the first 10 minutes of class to check in on people and get to know everybody. Cause I think that 
honestly, that should be something that continues past the pandemic, but um, because I think that's just like a fun way to make class feel less strange uh, and to get to know the people that you sit next to for four to four to five months out of the year. Um, but I think that a lot of people have started to take for granted or um, the fact that uh, people don't get to see one another as often as they used to. Um, Dorley, in case you missed her message, she says, I have to leave for class, but it's nice to hear everyone's thoughts. Um, but um, I think that it is just gonna be a big test of patience for everyone um, coming out of this or going into this upcoming semester and see how everything transitions and how everyone gets used to seeing each other more in person or um, to see how um, everyone, it, it transitions into a new environment um, and a, a safer environment, but a, a new environment nonetheless. So. Right, and then of course there's, you know, the trend is not really going in the right direction now with, with COVID. So it makes you think about December and January and to what extent we're doing another pivot that we're not even, you know, we're not even really anticipating now. That's why I think this sort of generic, you know, default of, well, you really want to create, have flexibility. And so if it's no longer possible to have that face-to-face -face class, then what's the alternative? And there is an alternative and maybe the blessing in disguise is that you will have had experience with a bunch of classes that were predominantly on Zoom in the fall if we have to go back to that, you know, so if you're, you have the, the good fortune to be in a face-to-face -face class in the spring, but COVID has other plans for us and we have to revert to a, um, the uh, online context. Well, I mean, you will, you'll have that experience. doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it more fun, but, you know, at, at some level we're sort of, you know, discovering um, things that, among the among the things that that Dorley mentioned, I think were very striking. You know, here's I'm really understanding how I learn, and to the extent that I'm looking at a pre-recorded video, uh, that's just not ideal. I've heard that from other students as well. I think that the majority of SPIA uh, the majority of SPIA courses are, if I think about the pie chart, uh, are hybrid synchronous. Um, plan for the for the spring again with higher frequency opportunities for face to face something i want to say 23% or so are currently listed as asynchronous hybrid so if that's something that's just doesn't work for you um, you should be able to see that in short order uh, registration begins on the 5th of November, and I believe that the registrar in Athena is going to have some shorthand there about, hey, this course is going to meet entirely face to face. This course is hybrid synchronous. This course is is hybrid asynchronous, etc. So there should be additional information for you moving forward. It's good to know because I was about to ask about the hybrid or like the. Um acronym that was going to appear and <laughs> just say that this was hypersynchronous, hybrid asynchronous, etc. Yeah. There'll be um, a little key and I think probably a link to what do these different things mean? Okay, cool. 
Okay, well, does anybody have any other questions? No? Okay, uh, well. Just a quick no. comment. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Just a quick comment. Um, the courses that like, so like some of my professors I've had in the previous semester, um, the courses that have office hours are like really useful, like dedicated time where you don't have to schedule an appointment to go see your, or like see your professor via Zoom. Mm -hmm those courses are honestly really helpful because like Dr. Gallagher, she has Mondays are like, we don't meet at all in person on Mondays unless you wanna like see her for office hours kind of. Those classes are really useful because then I can also see like what's going on in my professor's life and how they're having to adjust to it. And it, it just reminds us that like, it's not just us, it's the professor too. So scheduled office hours that are, um, not necessarily by appointment, but that are just regular. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. I like the idea of the balance there that you provide, or that is provided, um, again, by checking them on one another. It's good for mental health too, especially because we don't get to see each other and this has had a big impact on mental health. Um, Well, I hope you guys can, there's a certain amount of resilience and grit here, um, but it's also the case that your, your, your instructors do you wanna have higher, I mean, I think our fact they have pretty high emotional intelligence anyway, but um, now I think it's just more vital than ever. And you should not feel um, um, conflicted about reaching out to say, you know, um, here's a problem that I'm experiencing. We are all very much um, primed for that, knowing how difficult it is uh, to move forward with, you know, a COVID-19 higher ed platform. So if you're running into difficulties, just let us know. Yes, the grid and resiliency is important and you guys are all demonstrating that, but um, you're only in college once. And so it, it, it shouldn't be a, um, okay, well, I made it. And that was that you really actually should enjoy it and <laughs> look forward to it. And it's up to us to make sure that Zoom and these different modalities, hybrid synchronous, hybrid asynchronous, face-to-face -face are actually working. To me, it, the saving grace at some level is that there's flexibility. So if face-to-face -face, for whatever reason, is not working, okay, there's another way to participate in that class and vice versa, so. Absolutely. Um, so I think if no one has any more comments or questions, um, go ahead and end our conversation. Um, uh, so I just wanna thank you guys again for coming and thank you Dean Auer and Dr. Carlos for being our wonderful guest speakers this month. Um, so have a safe week and happy voting. And I'll just say, um, if you have any thoughts or questions going forward uh, or just want to say hi, just reach out. I don't have regularly scheduled office hours, but I'd love to um, uh, engage you guys anytime. And I'll ask again, um, uh, if you're willing to fill up a Qualtrics that'll come your way, not, a, not too distant future, that would be awesome because we'll get at some of these same questions that you've been answering here. Appreciate it. Learned a lot. I have a
couple pages of notes. Thank you guys. Good luck. Hang Thank in you. there. Take Thank care. You. Thank you. Oh,